Hey Restore Online, my name is Hannah and I am a leadership resident here at Restore, where I get to spend most of my time hanging out with our Park Hill team here in Kansas City. But I could not be more excited to finally get to hang out with you online. You are joining us for week two of our series called Shaken which is all about working through deconstruction and doubt. You see, recently, deconstruction has become somewhat of a buzzword in the Christian community. And although the term may be growing in popularity, deconstruction isn't something that is new at all. You see, it is something that has gone on for generations. It's not some new trend, and it surely isn't an easy process. But we, as a church, believe this process is not something to fear or to be scared of or to turn a blind eye to or even to rush through, but possibly could be a beautiful and strengthening thing to our faith. So we began to ask ourselves, as a church, what if we chose to embrace it? What if we chose to work through our deconstruction and our doubts, and that allowed us to come out with an even more resilient faith? So that became our very hope for this series. Now, we know we're not going to be able to psychologically or intellectually dive deep into every nuance of deconstruction, but our hope is to open the door to empathize through it and to love well through it. Some of us haven't even heard the term deconstruction before. Some of us, we have a few doubts that we're wrestling with when it comes to our faith. But other, others of us are in the deep end of deconstruction. And our hope is that wherever you are on this journey, that you are seen, you're understood, and that most importantly, you feel welcome here. You see, although painful, deconstruction can be incredibly helpful to our faith journey. You see, the other day when I was trying to find a necklace for a fancy event I had to attend, it's, it's not very common for me to dress up or to even wear jewelry. In fact, I own approximately three pieces of jewelry, and I never know where any of those pieces are. But I wanted to wear a certain necklace for this event because I liked the way that it would go with my outfit. So I couldn't find it, not to be surprised. And so I went to my daughter's jewelry drawer thinking maybe it would be there. And I found my one gold necklace, and it was tangled up in her mess of hair, hair ties, and her own jewelry. And my first thought was to just throw it all away and save myself the frustration and the annoyance of untangling this necklace. But then I remembered that this necklace was worth something to me. So it was worth untangling. And this is how I view the deconstruction process that I have gone through and have watched my friends and family go through. You see, our faith, although maybe tangled up 
and tangled up with stuff that it has no business being tangled up with, it's something worth examining and untangling because it's worth saving. And so that's our hope, that we would find our shaken faith something worth untangling and restoring back to the beauty that once was. Last week, Janet kicked off beautifully by letting us know we can deconstruct and still be loved by God. She helped us define what deconstruction is and how God loves us through every stage of deconstruction. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and watch it. But this week, we're going to talk about what it looks like when the thing that is causing your faith to be shaken is your doubt. You see, a few months ago, I went to social media to ask some questions about deconstruction. And if you had deconstructed, what were the things that led you to that. I was suspecting to hear a lot of church hurt, to hear a lot of apologetic arguments, or even mention of the scandals in the church, some of the corrupt leadership that we've been seeing, or the way Christians acted inside the pandemic is what led people to deconstruct. But the overwhelming response that I got was all around the concept of doubt. Some of the responses were, it would have been helpful if the church told me, God isn't afraid of your doubt. I wish that the church told me it wasn't sinful to doubt. I wish they told me Jesus was the safest place to bring your doubt. I wish they would have given me permission to ask questions, because if they had, I might still go to church. Now, it seemed like a lot of people's responses to what shook their faith was the lack of permission to doubt. And it made me realize that, sadly, we don't often welcome doubt inside the church or in our faith communities. You see, growing up, I have such fond memories of going to my grandma's house in downtown Ypsilanti, Michigan. She had a sweet little home that was, belonged to her family for generations. And whether it was hosting people for Easter brunch, or for family dinner, or for birthday parties, she loved having us all over. And we loved going there. She would let us play in all areas of her home. She'd let us play with whatever toys she had and eat whatever snacks she had. But there was a room that was off limits. In fact, it was her entire upstairs. And for years, I never knew why we couldn't go up there. But I knew, don't even bother asking grandma questions about it, because that space that room was off limits. And it made me wonder, how often do we treat doubt in the church like this? We treat doubt like the blocked off room in the church that is off limits. 
when doubt pops up or questions arise, we tend to say, no, 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 don't doubt the goodness of God. Don't doubt his validity. Just trust him. We say, sure, you can, you can talk about anything else, but doubting, that's off limits. The problem with that is we all have doubt. Maybe for you, you doubt the very existence of God. Maybe you doubt his power. Maybe you doubt in his goodness that he really is for you or that he really can be trusted. I'm not sure what your specific doubts are, but I know we all have them. And too often than not, we end up treating doubt like something to, to fear and not something to embrace. But what if we as the church, as Christ followers, we started to welcome doubt? What if our doubt could be the very thing that strengthens our faith? What if our God is big enough to face any question, any fear or doubt we may hold? I don't know about you, but I have no interest in following a God that when I question him, he can't handle it. The problem with not processing or welcoming our doubts is it can either force us to walk away or we end up faking it till we make it. And that's not a real faith. That's just blindly following and that's not the kind of faith that God calls us to. No, he calls us to an authentic faith, a real faith, an honest faith, not a pretend faith. And so what if the way to an authentic faith was through our doubts? You see, there are several examples in the Bible of people doubting. Yet instead of covering up or hiding their doubt, or telling them that it's off limits, we actually see Jesus welcoming it. You see, it reminds me of this story in Mark chapter 9. Jesus had been in the middle of his ministry, and people started to hear and to see what he was doing, seeing the miraculous miracles that he was doing. And nearby, a father with a son who was possessed for years and years heard of this guy Jesus and what he could do. And so he decided to bring his son to Jesus in desperate hope that he might be able to heal his son. The book of Mark tells us the story in chapter 9, verse 20. So they brought him, the son. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It often has thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, please take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me 
overcome my unbelief. See, here we see a grieving father, desperate for Jesus to do what Jesus has been saying he can do, for him to heal his son. But we also hear the honesty in the dad's statement. I do believe, but I have some doubts. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. The dad is being honest. He's saying, listen, God, I have heard of what you can do. I have seen you do some miracles, but also I've seen some bad things. And here's probably where, where you and I can relate to this father. Because if you and I were really honest, most of us would probably say, I've seen God do some amazing things, but I've also seen some horrible things that make me question. And if I can just get personal here, I can relate to this dad. As a leader in the church and someone who has followed Jesus for a long time, I have seen some amazing things. Marriages healed, cancer disappearing, conversions of the hardest of hearts. And it's easy to trust a God that is active and working and moving. And so that's when it makes me want to say, I do believe, but I've seen some stuff in my life that causes me to question his goodness, to question his power, his trustworthiness. I've seen some things that I just can't make right in my heart. Things like pandemics, unexpected death, mass shootings, anxiety that feels like it won't ever go away, miscarriages, brokenness, abuse. Yes, God, I have seen you do miracles, but I've seen you pass over people, and I've seen you allow some bad things to happen. I've had spaces where you didn't show up where I needed you to. So I want to believe, but I have some doubts. What the Father is showing us here is that belief and unbelief can exist in the same faith. Faith and doubt can exist together. Yes, he had some doubt, but ultimately he brought his son to Jesus because he brought his doubt to Jesus and he was honest. And you want to know what happened? Jesus healed his son. Even inside the presence of doubt and unbelief, Jesus healed his son. Because God's power isn't dependent on our lack of doubt. And even in our doubt, even in our questioning, God will still move. So the next time Satan or someone else tries to tell you that maybe God isn't moving because you don't have enough faith, you remind him of what type of God our God is. A gracious one and a powerful one who isn't asking us not to doubt, 
but be honest and still show up. You and I have got to learn to be honest with our doubts. Because what if our doubt could be the very thing that leads to a resilient faith? There's a quote by Pastor Tim Keller that I absolutely adore. Tim writes, a faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts which should only be discarded after long reflection. You see, doubt can actually strengthen your faith. And Jesus knew this. You see, this father in the story is not the only person who doubted in the Bible. One of Jesus's very best friends had a little bit of doubt after Jesus rose from the grave. In John chapter 20, Jesus showed up to his disciples after he defeated death and rose from the grave, and he revealed himself to them. But you see, good old Thomas wasn't there. He didn't see Jesus when he first showed up to them. So when they came to him to tell him about it, he had a hard time believing it. The book of John tells us about it in chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. You see, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus first showed up. And in fact, he did just watch him die on the cross. So he had some doubts that this guy that showed up to the disciples wasn't really the son of God. Thomas was given the nickname Doubting Thomas, which often gets a bad rap. But what if he had it right? And he modeled what you and I should do with our doubt. When, we, when he had doubts, he went straight to Jesus right to the source, and he was honest. You see, in verse 26, it goes on to read, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. When Thomas came to Jesus with his doubt, it didn't ruin his faith altogether. It strengthened his faith. Look how he responded at the end. He replied by saying confidently, my Lord and my God. That's the response of a strong faith. Thomas's doubt led to a stronger faith. All through the Gospels, Jesus asked so many questions 
Questions that would probably produce doubt in his followers. But his goal was an attempt to get them to land at the answer, who do you say I am? Because he knew an explored faith was a strong faith. So what do we do when we're faced with doubt? The first thing we learn from these characters is to be honest and admit it. Because an explored faith is a strong faith. So there's no need anymore to fake it till you make it or to have all the right answers or never question what you believe. When you ask questions, when you doubt, it can strengthen your faith. So be honest. And second is to, is to share it in community. We were never meant to do this faith journey alone. And doubt, it can grow into unbelief when it's kept in secret. But it's shared and wrestled through when it's admitted in community. I can't help but imagine if Thomas's doubt actually helped the disciples have a stronger faith as well. And because Thomas spoke up, they had permission to doubt as well. So share it in your community and be honest. And third is to go to God with it. Both Thomas and the father were honest with their doubts and went to Jesus himself. Jesus isn't afraid of your doubt. He won't hide from you. He wants to meet you right where you're at because that's the kind of person Jesus is, a gracious one, one that chases after us, sits with us, and understands us. And so even when we're doubting him or wondering if we can truly trust him, he loves us, he pursues us, and he is with us. So what if we could do that right now? What if we could take a moment to be honest with God that maybe, yeah, we are doubting some things, that there are some things we're questioning. And we trusted him enough to still be good and to meet us in that. So right now, wherever you are, we're gonna create a moment where we can have some space to really be honest with God, where you're doubting. Bring it to him and see if he won't meet you with grace and compassion. So right now, wherever you're at, put down your phone, get comfortable, and most importantly, get honest. We're gonna give you about a minute to go to God and be honest about where you're doubting. God, I thank you that you are a God who isn't scared of our questions or scared of our doubts, 
but that you're a God who meets us exactly where we're at, who wants us to be honest, who wants us to be authentic, who wants to build a resilient faith in us through our doubts. I pray that you would give us courage as we continue on this week to be honest, to share our doubts in community, and to come to you with it. We thank you for the way that you step into our doubts and you meet us right where we're at and you love us enough to help us through it. In Jesus' name, amen.